conversation today is with Gabrielle Blair. You might know Gabrielle from her incredibly popular blog, Design Mom, and her writings on the intersection of design and motherhood, or from her recent incredible book, Ejaculate Responsibly, a book which boldly reframes the abortion debate. I was thrilled to chat with Gabrielle. I love her robust arguments and her courage to take on Twitter trolls, and I definitely recommend getting your hands on a copy of the book and giving it to every male you know. Hello, Gabrielle. It is so nice to have you on the Lunch Lady podcast. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for asking me. Yes, I was so excited when you said yes. I was like, yes, she must have done so many interviews about this and she's still willing to talk about it. Oh, no, I love it. I love it so much. I want to talk about this all the time. I'm going to talk your your ear off. I'm going to yes. get longer than you want. I love it. <laughs> I hope so. So I thought maybe we could just start a little bit about you. A lot of our, um, I suppose our community would know about you as Design Mom, but um, yeah, I just wanted to hear from you about you and your family, yeah. your kids. Yeah, of course. So I'm I'm talking to you from France at the moment. We've been here for three years, three plus at this point. Um, and um, I've got six kids. Three of them live at home with us, our three youngest. Um, two are in high school and one is in middle school. And then our three oldest are out living their lives. My very oldest is at Berkeley in California. He's in his last semester or about to start his last semester. He's studying film. Um, our second is in North Carolina. She just finished her degree at Berkeley and is doing, um, and anyways, trying like adult life, got an apartment and a car and is feeling great in North Carolina. She's doing awesome. Wow. And our third child is in Paris and she studies film there and she is um, in her last year as well. So everyone's off doing awesome stuff. Um, so what else do we want to know about us? Um, before we were in France, we were in California for six years. Before that, we were in France again for a few years. Um, and our longest stretch was eight years in New York, as far as our family goes. Three of our kids were born there. And um, so we've moved around quite a bit. Um, I started Design Mom, my blog, which is yeah. still out there going and doing stuff um, oh. in 2006. So it is like so old. I was before Instagram, before Facebook and all that other stuff. So it was just blogging. And then, of course, it transitioned over the years. Um and um, I've written about all sorts of things. And I also um, have a conference called Alt Summit. And yes. our next one is in Palm Springs, California in March. And we had a break during the lockdown years. Um, so that still feels like we're like starting again, something, I don't know, it, it feels like it's in a building phase. It was like in a like at its peak and then it sort of shut down. And now we're like, are we doing it for real? What's happening? And anyway. We'll Tell go. us a little bit about that. Tell us what that's about. So that started in 2010 and it was for, um, at the time it was a conference. We launched it specifically for design bloggers, which I'm sure it sounds like, what? why would you need a conference for design bloggers? But at the time that was a, it was a big deal. And I had been attending conferences for a couple of years that were sort of focused on writers and particularly like mom bloggers, which was, yeah. you know, this phenomenon. And I loved those conferences, loved them so much. It was so nice to be able to go and talk shop with like these other online people who didn't have coworkers and were like working alone at home. And, um, but I noticed that none of the design blogs I read were represented like, Oh joy and design sponge and apartment therapy. And just some of these, um, I mean, a lot of these blogs. And in fact, my sister who wasn't a mother yet, um, had a blog, my sister-in-law had a blog. They were both these lifestyle design blogs. They, they weren't mothers yet. They weren't going to these conferences for mom bloggers. And anyway, at a family vacation, I was talking with my siblings and my in-laws and um, telling them how much I love these conferences. They're like, well, we should do one for design bloggers. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, that would be amazing. And so that's how it started. Um, and brought in all our favorite design blogs and um, got to hear from them. And it was, um, it was terrific. So it was very similar to these other conferences I've been to, but it was focused on not design mom. I mean, not, uh, sorry, not mommy blogging, but on design. Yeah. And it was a whole other world because it was just so much more visual. Uh, anyway, it was just a different world. And so that was great. And then over time that changed, like Pinterest really grew out of Alt Summit. 
Ben, Ben Silverman, the founder of Pinterest, he came just as an attendee to the conference. Wow. Show people his little beta site. And he was like, oh, I think this crowd would like this. And they did. You know, like he found like his perfect first users. And the next year he came back, he was like on a little panel. And the year after that, he came back as a keynote speaker because Pinterest had just taken off and and all of his core users had come from from Alt Summit. So that was really, really cool. And then over the years it has changed. So now it's not, I mean, I don't know how many people show up that actually identify as a blogger. I might be the only one. <laughs> but every, but every, now it's like, Anyone who's kind of like making their their way on social media as a career, who's maybe they're podcasting, maybe they're um, maybe they have an Etsy shop, maybe they have you know they're they're, they're launching a, a product and trying to figure out how to like use Instagram to promote it or that kind of stuff. Basically, if you're a creative in a creative field trying to navigate this um, online work, then you'll have you a lot to learn there and yeah. lots of connections to make. It, it's really really fun. So, so you've basically, I mean, you come across as kind of like a very curious person, you know, you're creating, you, you're a mum of six, obviously we all know like the busiest people are the best people to come up with ideas. <laughs> so as soon as I heard you had six kids, I was like, oh, of course she's done all this stuff. She's just squeezed <laughs> it in. Um, so, and also tell me a little bit about your faith because I find this so interesting, especially when we start to talk about the book. Yes, of course, of course. So um, I was born a Mormon. I've been a Mormon. Um, Mormons um, lately like to go by the full name of the church, which is Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or you can say LDS, but Mormon's so much easier to say and refer to that it's just such an easy shorthand that I still use it. But um, anyway, um, yeah, so grew up in a very conservative town called St. George, Utah. I moved there when I was five from California and was there until I went off to college. And yeah, it's uh, even within very conservative Utah, which is where the, the Mormon church is like based, it's particularly conservative. So it was just a very, a very conservative town. My my father was a Democrat. My mother was a Republican. And my father, there were all sorts of jokes that, you know, he was one of like three people in town that were Democrats. Like it was just this, you know, this unusual thing. But anyway, but my father had been a, a convert. He had uh, decided to become a Mormon in college and his family was, is mostly Jewish, but not religious necessarily. So anyway, so um, I was certainly exposed to all sorts of things, but in my little town, it was all about Mormonism. Anyway, and and I'm still a practicing Mormon. I try to use my Mormonism as a tool in these kinds of conversations, meaning I know people are going to make assumptions about me if I say yeah. that I'm a Mormon. I know they're going to assume I'm politically conservative, which I'm not. I I know they're going to assume I'm anti-abortion, which I'm also not. And I'm certainly not the only Mormon that feels that way. There are, I, I mean, the church will say 16 million. I've heard 12 million. I don't know how many Mormons there are. There's, there's millions mm-hmm. of Mormons, but there's no way to have a group that big and have everybody aligned on exactly what <laughs> they believe and how they behave. So it shouldn't really shock anyone to know that there's a variety of Mormons. But um, even even in Utah itself, where it is this conservative state, if if you look at the breakdown of the last election, there are a lot of Democrats. There are a lot of people that are voting more progressively. The conservatives still dominate, but it's not like it's it's not like it's ninety ten. It's closer to sixty forty, or even you know even more even than that. So I'm not that unusual, but I know people will make assumptions. And so I'm more likely to have a conversation or get someone who doesn't agree with me politically to listen to these ideas that I have if they assume I'm on their team. And so I start out with that. I'm a Mormon. I'm a mother of six. I know they're going to make all these assumptions. And then I can share these ideas with them that hopefully will, uh, you know, open their point, expand their point of view, you know, make them think differently, help them think differently about um, these topics. And then they may also realize that we don't agree politically, but by that time we've already had a conversation. So um, I mean, I kind of feel like this is your superpower in a funny <laughs> way. In this, um, maybe, maybe, yeah, I do. I, I think it's amazing, and I think it just probably shows what a um, open-minded, uh, curious person you are more than anything. So it's it just adds to the story, Gabrielle. I said that to someone. I said, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, maybe this makes me more interesting, whatever it is. I'm going to use it. I really, I really care about this message that I've written about. Yes. I really want to get it out there. And if I can use 
I will use whatever tools that whatever. Yeah. Right. So, so let's go back to, um, I want to go back to a few things, obviously when you first started thinking about the book, but also what the feeling was like in America when, you know, the Supreme court overturned Roe versus Wade. Like, what was that like? What was the text messages like? What were your friend friendship circles like? I mean, so what, as you know, I'm sure is started with this leak, this leak mm-hmm. for the actual overturning of Roe v. Wade. We got this leak that was going to happen. And it was, I mean, it was shock. It was shock. I don't think, I mean, there are plenty of people that said, we were telling you, we were telling you, we were telling you that they were, were going to do this. They were telling you that they, you know, the conservatives have always said they want to do this. But there had been times where conservatives were in, t- in power and they didn't do it. Mm. There, there had been other opportunities where it seems like they could have done it and they didn't do it. So I didn't, it didn't feel real to me. Like it felt like, like I, I really didn't think they were going to do it. And even after the leak, it was so shocking. And so like, it just didn't make sense in any way. It seems so unpopular. It just, that I think I was still in denial. I was like, maybe they're doing this to, maybe they leaked it. I assumed they leaked it on person on purpose. Maybe they leaked it like to try and gauge the response Mm. So they can see if it's so unpopular, they're not going to do it. Like, I kind of like, that's where my mind was. And I, and maybe that's just being perpetually hopeful or trying to be like, you know, like look forward and and be anyway. um, So it was just this shock, a lot of anger, a lot of like, how dare they, they wouldn't dare, you know, like this, like, again, this sort of denial that was really going to happen and, and sadness too. And predictions of like, you don't understand. It's not just going to affect women who need abortions, it's going to affect pregnancy. It's going to affect healthcare for women. It's just going to be, um, it's going to be horrific. And, Mm -hmm. and so again, right up until they actually announced, and by the way, I announced my book within a very short time of Roe being overturned, but I had been working on it, not knowing it was really going to be overturned. I mean, like the book was happening regardless of this news cycle. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the book had started four years before when I'd written a Twitter thread in 2018. So I'd been working on this for for years and then it was coinciding with this news cycle. So I didn't know that was going to happen. Um, of course, it made it even feel more urgent to me. I just wanted to get this, this message out. Yeah. But basically right up until it happened, they actually overturned it, not the leak. So this is months later. I was in denial. I was, sh- I just couldn't believe they would really do it. Yeah, and they really did. It was sadness as much as anything else. Before I hit anger, it was just like, you're calling your friends, you're getting text messages, you're just you're crying. You're like, you can see how quickly and harm, you know, and, um, and how much harm it's going to do and how quickly that harm is going to happen. Like, it's just really easy to see mm. from for some people. And then other people just can't seem to see that at all. So they seem to be totally surprised that ectopic pregnancies are getting caught up in this, that, that all sorts of pregnancy issues are getting caught up in this. Um, and then it turns quickly to anger. Like you're, you're sad. I mean, I'm sure I'm going through the, the, what are they, the, how many levels of grief? Stages of grief. I'm going through the stages of grief and, and one of them is certainly anger and just furious and yeah. And just furious and, and still furious, just still furious. Every day there's a new headline, a 10 year old, who should not be pregnant in the first place, who's raped and abused and now can't access an abortion, has to get to another state. And, and does her family have resources to get it? I mean, like, it's just, it's just insanity. Yes. Insanity. It's insanity. And nothing makes sense. And it really is still like, if they could see the response, I mean, they kind of could, if they had understood politically that this was going to be a bad thing for conservatives, meaning like yeah. they're not winning. People are mad. The elections, since then have been like, even in conservative states have been like, we are angry. Yeah. We are not okay with this. Um, would they still do the same thing? I don't know. Yeah, it was a total misreading of the room, I felt, even though. Which we know. I mean, like, people would vote for conservatives if they had a platform people were interested in. They have nothing to offer. They're just they're just trying to tear everything, you know, like, make life harder for, for liberals. Their whole goal seems to be like, own the libs. You're like, awesome. That's great. Congrats on owning the libs. Like, how did that improve your life? Like, it's just not much better over here, but we still obviously have our rights. But um, so so four years ago, you start writing the book. 
on um, or probably more than four years now because of a Twitter thread. Tell me about that. Right. So I write this Twitter thread, which um, the book definitely expands on and explores more and, and is, is, is bigger than the Twitter thread. But the, my first time sort of sharing these ideas was this Twitter thread. This was September 2018. And one of our Supreme Court justices, Brett Kavanaugh, was being vetted for the Supreme Court. And I, he skeeves me out so much. I, I just cannot stand this man. And I was really angry. And I hated hearing so many uh, male politicians talking about abortion, talking about women's health care, when they're just so disconnected. They clearly have no idea how this is affecting anyone in real life. Um, they've obviously never been pregnant. They they just do not seem to get it. It was making me so mad. And I shared these ideas of like, they don't actually care about abortion. They truly do not care. This is just a political tool for them. If they cared, here's what they would be doing, you know, and shared some of these ideas. Like if men actually cared about this, they could stop abortion simply by ejaculating responsibly. It was like, yeah. here's, <laughs> here's this little essay. And immediately it went viral immediately. And and I've, I've been online for a long time. I've had viral experiences. Nothing was like this. This was like so different. It was such a, a different crowd. It wasn't just like my design mom readers. It was yeah. like the world, you know, like this was being talked about, it was being translated. It was just like everywhere. And I immediately got, was reached out to by several publishers about like, is there a book there? Should we do a book? And my response was very much like, no, like I like I said what I said. I don't. There's no book there. I just didn't see it at all, and um, but I did not understand because I had yeah. had an experience like this. I did not understand that every single day for the next four years and counting, people were going to share this thread, argue with the thread, agree with it, talk about it, you know, keep translating it. It has been active every single day, and I'm there's that's not an exaggeration. There has been no expe- exception. Anytime I get on Twitter, anytime I get on, I might take off for a week, whatever, but anytime I get on, there are messages waiting for me. There are notifications that people have responded to the thread, retweeted, shared it, you know, like interacted with the thread. And anytime abortions in the news, which is often, then it's just like going viral again. Like this has just been consistent. And since then I've written many other threads and they've also, I've had lots of viral threads. That's terrific. Nothing has come close to this. This is just like, it really struck a nerve. And so what happened was this became this years of research for me, kind of unintentional, where I was refining, I would argue with people and like debate them when they'd come on the thread. I found it really, uh, not all the time, but I found it mostly kind of enjoyable. It was interesting to me, like, where were they getting stuck? Where were my ideas not hitting, you know, and, and this is where I'm like, coming up with other metaphors and other ideas and, uh, you know, expanding things and and understanding where people are getting stuck and where my arguments were weak and, and also learning more. Like, you know, I'm, I keep looking up statistics to share and the statistics are changing or there's new research or, you know, things like that. So I'm like learning so much stuff. And after a couple of years of that, I was like, Oh, there's definitely a book. Like I didn't understand, (laughs) but there's like definitely a book. And it also became clear to me a Twitter thread like I, like the thread ended up being a, an essay on Medium. It was on my blog. It's been in lots of places, but it's still just a Twitter thread. And that's impactful for a lot of people, but a tiny percentage of the world, a lot, you know, what's more impactful is a book. People want to know it's a book. They want to, I can't share a Twitter thread with my, with my mom or my grandma. Like that's not a helpful thing to them. Even if I give them the link or print it out, it's, they don't know how, like, that doesn't mean anything to them. Yeah. Like, a book means something to people. And so yeah. I was like, oh, this needs to be a book because people take it seriously in a different yeah, way. It legitimizes it, doesn't it? It's 100%. Sort of- 100%. Yeah. And then, of course, even more now because the book has done well and, like, the New York Times has legitimized it and the Los Angeles Times and the Washington Post have, like, you know, made it even more legitimate. And that's incredible. That's, that's incredible. But um, so, And so let's just talk a little bit about the book because I've read all – you know, I've read a lot of it. I haven't read all of it, but I love it so much. I love how clear it is. I love the arguments. So basically there's 28 arguments. Describe a little bit. And and then I want I want you to sort of pick out, if you don't mind, your favorite three. Oh, there okay. it is. Yeah. Here's the book. And yes, it's split into arguments and they're each, you know, they each sort of have like a, a big love the design, all of it. The design, I, I just want to give the designer a shout out. Her name's Bonnie Siegler and she's amazing. Anyway, so so yeah, there's 28 and it I, it was not originally developed this way. Like, I don't know if you've ever done a book before, but um, writing a book pitch is like, it, it's insane that, you know, like an actual book, like a proposal is like, 
70 pages long and it's like yeah. you know, it's so much information like it's like its own book and so like I had this whole thing so then my agent who's amazing you know sells the book and then I start working with an editor and because of what was happening in the news they were my my publisher's like let's do this as fast as we can like what's the fastest we can do you know because books actually once you sell a book it's still like a multi-year process to get it out yeah right yeah and and they're like this feels so urgent let's let's yeah. not spend multiple years on this and I'm like oh we don't need to because I've already spent multiple years like <laughs> like we can do this we can do this so um this has already been a multi-year project so then I really just started you know talking about this is what I want to talk about we started how to or we talked about how to organize it and ultimately it was like oh let's just like let's make let's focus on these arguments let's like just really make it easy and in fact the biggest job on this book I that I think is well there's two big jobs one of them was just make it shorter cut it out cut it like yes. I have other stories I have other research I have other and it was like no I want to make it so accessible um anytime I started talking sort of scholarly or academically was like no red flag like cut that out stuff like I just want it to be like I really want a teenager to be able to pick it up and understand it immediately and not um feel like they have to like I mean I just take it as like it's just a letter to men like it's so well done like that it's so factual it's funny um, it's like just take responsibility don't be a dick basically like it's just perfectly pitched but then when you read it as a woman you kind of or whatever I suppose whatever gender I just I just loved it because I kind of giggled a bit and just thought yeah duh but then also felt really empowered but then also thought how brave you were to kind of do it because I think obviously you've probably as you said you've written a lot of pieces things have gone viral you've probably got some kickback here and there but not kickback that you would have got back from this or praise. Like I was like, oh, my God, how did she sleep? Did she just have permanent <laughs> anxiety? How, like so many people would have yelled at you and I, I couldn't cope. Like how did you cope with that? Well, you know, that, that, that those years of research responding to the thread on Twitter were great training, yeah. like dealing with just like the, the crummiest people in the world that like have found you on Twitter and are like wanting to argue with you. It really was great Um I developed all sorts of sort of coping mechanisms and like how I deal with online stuff. And so the book that the response from the book has been nothing. It hasn't even phased me negativity, like the negative responses compared to what I've dealt with on Twitter for four years. Yeah. So it's just like truly, yeah. truly, I was, could not have been more prepared. Um, people have been, and mostly it's been positive and it, it is this letter to men. And there are specific things in there where I'll say like, here's a quiz for men, you know, like, have you ever, you know, done these things, but I get so much amazing responses from women and really tearful responses where they're going, I felt guilty about wanting my husband to get a vasectomy. I've had two babies. I I felt guilty about talking to my husband about this. Like, that's just not fair to ask him. It's too much to ask. Or it's like, you know, I could, maybe it's too hard for him or whatever. And then they read the book and they're like, oh, I'm definitely going to ask him. (laughs) And, and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. And like, it's amazing that what I've already done for this family with my own body and asking him to get this simple procedure is not a big ask. And I've got tools in here now to have a conversation with him and maybe he'll read this or even just certain arguments within the book. And so that's been amazing. Like these are real lives being effective immediately. And th- those aren't even abortion stories. Those are just couples that are like the, this, this woman has carried this burden physically, mentally, psychologically, all, all of this for the entirety of her adult sexually active life with even within her marriage, this burden of birth control, this burden of pregnancy prevention work. And now she's asking for a little help with it and it relieves so, so much. much. It's just huge. It's, mm-hmm. this, it's this huge thing. So love that it's affecting actual people and I'm hearing about it, love that as well. And then also love hearing from men who are saying, I mean, it's very clear in their comments, they're <laughs> reflecting back on their sexual experiences, realizing hmm, maybe I wasn't as responsible as I could have been in this or this situation, wondering, you know, um, have I ever caused a pregnancy and not known it? You know, all these kind of things that yeah. are like really clearly going to go into their their future sexual experiences differently, with a totally different attitude, understanding that they need to ejaculate responsibly that they can, that this isn't a difficult ask. We're not, 
we're not asking men to stop having sex. We're not asking no. them to stop having good sex. We're, it's this tiny little thing. Just do tiny. not let your sperm get in her vagina. Like, that's <laughs> what we're asking. And, and like, once they sort of like get it and, 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 and really understand like what they're risking for themselves and for their partner, if they don't ejaculate responsibly, like if that clicks for them and it does, if they read this book and it does, like if they, if they can make it through this book and it's, it's a short book, it's short, it's like super it's, short. Yeah. It's as accessible as possible. Like you're, you're, it's, it's, it's really easy. If they make it through this book, they get it. It clicks. They're not arguing against it. They're not like, no one's out there. Like no men should ejaculate irresponsibly. Like no one's <laughs> trying to make, um, they get it. And I, I it's going to make a difference. Anyway, I so I'm really really happy about the response to it, and I will deal with the negative if I can. can you tell me? Can you tell me about any kind of stories where someone completely changed your mind, like they came at you on Twitter or wherever, and then you had this kind of debate, and then you've turned them right around? I'm well, I have a few. So some for sure on vasectomies, where I've had men who were had never considered vasectomies, had never like just felt like that was not on the table for them. And then after discussions on Twitter or since the book has come out, um, the, where they've let me know, I've actually made an appointment. I'm, I'm having a vasectomy. Like once they understand, they like, there's a lot of men that just don't know. They haven't been taught. And it's not, I'm not, I mean, sometimes I am very sort of angry at men in general, but really I'm not like, especially on this topic, women have been taught to carry the burden of um, birth control, the burden of pregnancy prevention. And we've just never really questioned it. Mm, totally. And I feel like, so if we haven't questioned it and we assumed we were going to do it, why would men be assuming otherwise, right? Mm. It's not like, like we've all been taught this. We've all been taught that this is somehow supposed to be 100% on women and we're supposed to deal with it and men shouldn't have to worry about this. Mm -hmm. So I can't be mad at men for being taught the same thing that I was taught, you know, like, yeah. and so really I'm just trying to give us, put out this new message. And so Men have a lot of weird myths about um, vasectomies and about condoms. Mm, I want to get to that. I love that lots point. Lots of misinformation and lots of just, again, just myths that just are flat out wrong. Um, there's a lot of assumptions that um, th they just don't know. They haven't been taught. They don't know what kind of, what a hassle it is for women to get birth control, that we mm. do have to deal with side effects, that tubal ligations are really not comparable to to um, vasectomies as far as safety, ease, risk, all that stuff. They don't know any of that. Like, um, and most women don't. I mean, or if women do, they haven't sort of really thought through and acknowledged what burden they're carrying. This has just been this assumption they have to carry this burden, so they carry it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Anyway, so, so yeah, so the, so I can talk them through on some of this vasectomy stuff or condoms and they, and, and yeah, and they'll, they'll, they'll get it. They'll come at me arguing and then I'll say, okay, well, let's talk through. Here's some stuff that doctors have said about vasectomies versus tubal ligations. So, in, you know, name the instance where you would ask the woman to do the tubal ligation versus ask your partner to get a tubal ligation versus you getting a vasectomy. And there's, there's no instance they could come up with where they don't sound like a, just a total dick, right? Like, if yeah. <laughs> no, she should do it. You're like, <laughs> like, like she should leave you. She yeah, should leave you. Like, there's no right. way, you know, because because they obviously should and they can't, you know, and, and, and then you talk about like the, the differences in fertility that like women are taking this pill every day or absorbing hormones from their shot or whatever every single day, not to manage their own fertility. They're doing it to manage the man's ever present, always consistent fertility. They're not doing it for, she's only, her eggs only fertile for 24 hours. Like it's just, it's not her issue. It's it's his issue. She's doing this to manage his fertility. Mm -hmm. and once they sort of get that, like, oh, crap. Yeah. So explain that a little bit more because, and I've got a couple of quotes here. Women are fertile for 24 hours a month. Men are fertile 24 hours a day. And mm -hmm. that just blew, like, the whole thing just blew my mind. Even when I was reading, I was like, of course I know this, but I didn't really know this. And it's never been taught to me because it's always been our responsibility. And the pill made me sick and put on weight and it was awful. And like, but they just hand it out. Like you said, they hand it out when you're 13, 14, 15, whenever you, 16, whenever you, whenever you become sexually active and no one really questions it. And you kind of think, well, this is weird. And you're supposed to take it for like decades. Yeah. Here's, here's this thing. And if you have issues with side effects, well, 
here's a bunch more options. They all do the same thing. Like yeah. they're, they're all this, uh, they're all hormonal birth control. So here's this, <laughs> here's a whole bunch of more other options that are going to give you very similar side effects. Good luck. And, and okay. you're not going to complain about it. Or it's like, well, it's that or get pregnant. And you're like, okay, I'll do it. You know, like yeah. I don't want to get pregnant. So yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I've had six kids. So it seemed like I don't know anything about birth control. <laughs> But I have tried every kind. Like I, I'm actually very grateful for birth control. My thing was I wanted to have a big family. I knew yeah. that, but I wanted to choose when I got to have my babies. And I did get to have, I did get that choice. And so I'm so grateful for birth control. At the same time, I hated it. I hated how my body felt. I, I just hated it. Um, so I just, it's, a, it's exactly what you're talking about. And it's just this assumption that, well, that's your option. It's either well, you to it or, you know, deal I with really it. liked like on that. I really liked how you said at 80 years old, a woman who menstruated for 40 years will have experienced 480 days of fertility at 80 years old. A man who hit puberty at age 12 will have experienced 24,208 days of fertility. Like I feel like for anybody and especially men who like being delivered facts often and I'm generalizing but men in my life do um it's just there's no argument I mean they can't really debate it <laughs> I'm just such an advocate I'm I'm staunchly advocate of your book over here even when I saw the the front cover I was like yes like someone's <laughs> calling them out and I'm not brave enough to do it so I'm just gonna <laughs> put on Gabrielle's uh, coat wings and um yeah but so so that's one of the points I loved I also loved um I want to talk a little bit about toxic masculinity yeah. and how you sort of say it relieves men of their accountability. What do you mean by this? Well, like basically we put, as we've discussed, we've put all this work on uh, women, um, the, 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 the assumptions that women are going to handle all the work of pregnancy prevention and women are going to be entirely blamed if there is an unwanted pregnancy. Women, she got pregnant. There's no mention of how she got pregnant, who impregnated yeah. her, but she got pregnant. Like, what does that even mean? Like the language is so, it's so dumb. Anyway, yeah. and, and all of that is built, um, whether intentionally or not, to relieve men of all kind of accountability and responsibility in this. Mm. And you can really see it when you think of sort of the history of humankind. Up until fertility, not fertility tests, up until paternity tests, which are very recent in the history of the world. What are we, you know, like 50 years ago, yeah. No, maybe men could literally walk away from parenting at any point. They could always say, nope, not my kid and mm -hmm. walk away. The kid could look identical to them. They go, nope, she's a slut. She had sex with other people. Not my kid walking mm -hmm. away. There was nothing you could do. There was no way to prove this is the guy. There was just no option. So basically until very recently in the history of the world, men could just walk away and, mm. and they, they truly, you know, without exaggeration had no responsibility in this unless they chose to accept it. Thankfully, lots of men did. And we were able to, <laughs> we have kind or whatever, but, but they could <laughs> and did and, and, and did walk away and they still do. Even with maternity mm. tests, there are children all over the world who have no idea who their father is and whose fathers do not know they exist. Mm. Because they had sex, one night stand, something, who knows what, and walked away and never yeah. checked back. They don't know if they caused a pregnancy. They have no idea that there's that they have a child out there somewhere. And and so this is just kind of how it's been. Mm -hmm. um, we do have the tools now where we can change that. We can prove paternity. Um, but even that, it's like, even that, then the woman's got to go through all this. Like, even, it's not even really like a great outcome, is it? It's still not equality. It's nowhere near equality because you're exactly right. She's had to deal with the pregnancy. She's had to deal with the health complications. Mm -hmm. And now she has to decide how much time and money and resources she has to put toward proving the paternity and trying mm -hmm. to get some money from this man. And, and if you if you dig into, I can only speak to America on this, but if you dig into the, the child support system, mm -hmm. it's a joke. You know, it's right. just a joke. Like if, if they're paying at all, they're paying not enough to actually support the child like the woman's still having to get full-time uh child care and work full-time and i mean there's just nowhere close to um actually supporting and even if they're legally like required to still a lot of people aren't paying i mean it's it's just not a good system there's really 
and not a lot of um, consequences for mm -hmm. not paying. And even if you are paying, again, that's not, probably not actually relieving the mother of what she's dealing with. Like it's, and all the emotional stress. Yeah, totally. It's just and even, like even if you are think of those the the couples you know where you know the man travels all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's spending money, which is great, and it's not the same as being a single parent. But there's still so much work that the mom is doing of the actual raising of the kids. And it's great that there's a paycheck coming in. It's great that there's financial support. I don't want to downplay that. But that is not the bulk of the parenting work. That is yeah. not the bulk of the raising the child work. It's just not. Yeah, totally. So so let's talk a little bit about, um, I want to, this is one of my, the other points I loved in it, that society clings to the, the idea that men hate condoms, which I feel has been brought up so many times in my life and my friends' lives. And, and then you kind of feel guilty because you don't really understand and, you know, you're usually inexperienced. And so that really struck a, a nerve with me. And I thought, wow, like, I've just never thought about this stuff this way, you know, like I've, and, and, and you would think as kind of like a feminist and someone who's super curious like you and quite educated and and you just feel so dumb. You're like, oh, my God, I've been so brainwashed. I feel the same. I mean, it is fascinating to me because here I, I, I've talked about growing up a Mormon, super in this conservative community. I knew very little about sex, just almost nothing. But yeah. I somehow knew men don't like condoms. I never had sex. I don't like, how would I know that? I don't know. I just knew. Oh, men do not like condoms. Like, yeah. Just condoms are the worst. And I'm like, why would I even know that? Like, but it's just like so pervasive in our, our in, the, in the culture. And and I'm sure it was in movies and books and who knows what that I just that one guy, up. one guy, a bunch of guys sitting around, they're like, right, we're gonna like really yeah. come up with marketing, some clever marketing campaign against this, I'm sure. And it's, it's so ridiculous. ridiculous. And it's been absolutely fascinating because with again, I'm gonna go back to Twitter, like here I've had these thousands of conversations conversations with men about condoms and so many are like, well, it takes some practice, but once you learn, no, it's fine with condom without, like it's a, it's a non-issue. And wow. so you're like, oh, so this is just a myth. This is mm -hmm. just a myth. The men who don't like condoms, they don't have the right size or the right material or that they're not using the right kind of lubrication or whatever. They haven't practiced. They've yes. decided they don't like it and yeah. they haven't practiced or They've never even tried it. They just heard that they're the condoms are the worst, and so they stop. And then there's also this very weird. What we're talking about toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity. There's this very weird thing where it's like a conquest to have sex without a condom. Like if I can talk her into having sex without a condom, somehow I won. Like I, that's and you're like, that's not winning. That's not. Winning. No, that's like the, that's super weird. You just. <laughs> great risk you were just like that's like the most the least manly thing you could do is to talk a woman into having sex without a condom like it's it's, it's so dumb anyway so there's that all that weirdness and it's all just these weird myths if we're actually educating people about condoms if we're teaching them how to use them how many like look you're going to need to practice you're going to need to try different materials yeah but and that might seem like a big ask but i'm like we make women learn how to use birth control and it's mm. way harder and, and if you don't like your birth control, you have to go back to a doctor. You can't just like buy a different box of condoms and try something, you know, else. And, mm. and condoms are cheap and they're free for most people. Like I know every state in the United States has a, a free condoms program. I, I you know, like they're, they're surely not. Gabrielle, surely you haven't, you, you, you haven't released a line of radly designed condoms. How has this oh. not happened? How is it not coming with the book? <laughs> you can reach out to my publicist. We did send yeah. out condoms to lots of influencers that are very, with a very cute little cover on them. That are very, very like just even the colors and just like, ejaculate you know, like, you like ejaculate responsibly and like guys, like some cool guys, like starting yeah. the trend. I'm seeing it. It's so I good. Know. I want photos of like, I don't know, the lacrosse, <laughs> like who do men think are cool? I don't know. I need to, yeah, I know. I don't know. Reading the book in a photo. I don't even know. Like, like yeah. by a Tesla. I don't know. What do men think are cool? Like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, who knows? So, so yeah, I need men to talk to other men. Cause that's the thing mm -hmm. is on the condom issue. I can talk about all day long. No man wants to hear from me, middle-aged white lady. You're like, why, why am I talking about condoms? If, if a man has figured out how to use condoms, I feel like, please get out there and evangelize. Tell your friends, this is what works for me. I would never have sex without a condom. That is insane. Besides the pregnancy thing, 
condoms are your only shot at preventing sexually transmitted infections. That's it. Yeah. Pill can't do it. The, the shot can't do it. IUDs can't do it. Nothing but the condom. Like that's your, mm -hmm. that's it. So there's lots of reasons to get comfortable with condoms, to use them. And I need men evangelizing about condoms, not yes. me. I <laughs> Like, I, I mean, I will keep doing it, but it's not going to be as effective as a, a man saying to his friends, this is the best brand. This is what works for me. Yeah. It's all about, you know, tell them it's all about size. It's all about lubrication. Like, and that's yeah, huge. If, if men were talking to each other about this stuff, hmm. in the same way that women are saying that, you know, I liked the copper IUD or I didn't like the copper, hmm. you know, like we talk to each other about birth control. If, if men were talking to condoms about condoms to each other in the same way, we'd have an entirely different, yeah, entirely different culture around us. I loved the acknowledgements in the book. I loved your acknowledgements to your kids. And um, it was just so beautiful to your husband. So just tell us a little bit about that because I just think it's such a beautiful story where you were reading it or he was reading it and, you know, yeah. that whole I mean, my family has been incredible. And even since it's come out, like if you get on my Instagram, there's they make reels about every time like a big news story comes out about it, they'll like make a reel about it. It's very, very cute. But um, even leading up to the book, they've just been so supportive. Um, my husband's been, I cannot, like, he's put as much time into promoting this as I have for sure. All, you know, like, all of a sudden he'll publish a, a, a Twitter video where he's like, let me tell you why I got a vasectomy and why it's awesome. And like, I didn't ask him to do that. He's just like doing it. And, and it. Anyway, he's been amazing. But throughout the book, um, as I was writing it, like, I just need you know, you just need editors, you need people looking at it. And of course, um, I had a great team of editors in New York, but um, especially with the time change, it was so nice to have someone like be able to read something right then and, you know, yeah. get back to it. And, and he was so great. We, he would um, read it aloud. And so I could hear like where it was starting to sound academic or where I wasn't clear. And I could, you know, um, change things there. Sometimes I would just be like, I'm trying to say this and I don't have a good example or I'm like, here's the example I've come up with, but it's not quite right. And like, he'd help me work through it. He's a, yeah. he's a philosophy guy. That's what he studied. That's what his PhD what? is in. And so he's just a good thinker. And anyway, he's been terrific. Um, and then my kids also just amazing. Like it cannot be easy to have a mom that's out there talking about ejaculation and condoms. like that's, that cannot be fun for them. And, you know, when it gets brought up, like they're on college campuses and it's getting brought up in their classes and, you know, I mean, it, and that cannot be fun for them, I'm sure. And they've been so great about it and have just been, you know, you know, just been really proud of me and posted about stuff. And I don't know, I, I I'm, I'm grateful they, 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 this, this is a big burden. It's a big ask. I mean, they get asked to defend this stuff. They didn't write it. It yeah. has nothing to do with their thoughts and think, you know, and, and, and um, but they get asked to defend it and, and, and have to defend me and stuff. And that's no fun. And uh, they, they don't love seeing me, you know, get attacked on social media or whatever that, that, that can be stressful to them. Um, and there's not, once they're old enough, like there's not great ways to shield them from that. I can't, no. like, you know, and so, um, so, so I'll have to talk them through that. Like, I'll have to let them know, like, I'm fine. Mm. Do not feel like you need to get on and defend me. Like I'm, 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 I'm okay. But like, I know they, they, you know, feel that instinct to go like defend yeah. their family. And do you feel since you've written this, cause obviously you're so passionate about it for, it's an amazing topic. And, you know, before you were doing lots of design stuff and, and all important in their own ways, but obviously this is so life changing and, how has that sort of made you reflect on your current work? Like it's kind of like I suppose if like a UN worker went and worked in Syria and then they come back to their desk in Australia or America and you're like, what is happening? You know, like, you know, like I feel like yeah. you've got this perspective and you're actually changing the world in very significant ways. Like how do you feel about your current, like has that made you question things or? I mean, yeah, for sure. It's like what's next and, and, and before I had, signed the contract to do this book. My husband and I actually signed a contract to do a parenting book. And oh, then cool. it's, it's, it's awesome. It's with the same publisher. And then the publisher said, well, pause the parenting book for a minute. Let's get this out. Cause it feels, you know, like so timely. And so then it's like, yeah. And then we went to the parenting book and that feels important. That feels good. <laughs> and you know, like, but it's like, what I, I, you know, it's just, yeah. What's next? What should I be working on? How do I, do I need to like do I, do I need to like make a foundation where we're giving condoms to people? I don't, I don't you know, like what, what's the, what's the most effective way to get this out here? Is the book the most effective way? Is that where I should put all my attention? 
Is there something yeah. else I should be doing? That's totally on my mind. And then weirdly, I still do all this like renovation stuff on, on, mm -hmm. on social media. Like a lot of my uh, life is renovating these, these very old houses in France. And, um, and I feel pressure to do that. And it might be mm -hmm. funny, but if I only write about the book online, mm -hmm. I will lose a lot of my social following. Yeah, yeah. Those platforms are so valuable. So I'm like, okay, look, I like to talk about politics and current events and not just about this. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm always talking about, you know, elections and what's happening. And I feel like I can't do that as effectively if I don't also mix in this renovation, design content. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm mixing in gift guides. Like they want all of that from me, right? And so, yeah. and if I just focus on the one thing, I, I know that I'll lose a lot of that following. And I want the people that are coming to me for paint colors, yes, and, you know, furniture tips to also be exposed to, yeah, you know, political ideas and uh, ideas about abortion. Like, so I, I feel pressure to do it all so that I really can get these messages to the people that are actually voting, the, the women out there that are actually having to make decisions about abortion and, yeah. and, and, and what their thoughts are and the, and the, and the laws in their state. And are you still enjoying all that other stuff? Cause you feel, I feel like that's part of you still, or oh, you 100%, 100%. Yeah. I am yeah. a, I mean, I like it all. I, I am a curious mm -hmm. person and I like, like I get great joy out of the renovation stuff. So I don't mean to act like that's a big burden, but it, no, it, no, it, no, 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 but it is a, the pressure is a burden. Like, Oh, I have done five posts yeah. about the book. I've got to get some, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I gotta, I gotta mix it all in, and so there it's is funny. Though. It's funny because I just, I just created a new personal Instagram account. No one really follows it, but it's because I felt like, you know, I was doing lunch lady, but I was more than that. I have my own ideas and my, and I don't, and I had the opposite effect where I just kind of want to slam people with what the Atlantic saying and the conversation. And, but I'm like, they don't, they just also want craft recipes and they don't need my like. <laughs> martyring of like <laughs> NPR and you know so then I started this other little one which was kind of interesting but also made me feel a bit free so maybe I don't know maybe maybe I need to do the same like it's, it's, tricky. it's a little tricky. yeah so like so yeah do I do I keep it separate like I have a separate Instagram where I do my I call it Twitter by design mom and I just like show mm. all my favorite tweets that I've seen that week mm. not that I've written necessarily but I'm sometimes mine but anyway like others and I was sharing them on my main, my main account. And it was like, I would share these all day. I would share 50 a day. This is like too much. They don't want this. So I'm looking at a separate account. But yeah, that's just like, I don't know. And, and then there's also part of me that's like, no, they they should just follow me for design. No, that's ridiculous. Like, yeah. tough luck for you if that's all you want. And you don't want to hear how much I hate Trump. Tough luck for you. Yeah. Like, like this is I'm this whole person and you yes. know like you know like also well, I feel like I feel like a separate account is more for your own benefit in that you can talk about it way more yeah. you know you can you can still infiltrate it but I, I just I don't know I've just been playing right. around with that and I yeah. think it's it's interesting but it's very hard to build you know probably not so much for you but to kind so of account drag people over you know 20 years too late I feel like I'm like 20 years I'm like oh finally I, I mean, uh, for sure. I, I think everyone that works on Instagram looks back at the last, you know, decade and is like, oh, I did it wrong, man. I should have like done this. I should have started this. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm still making print mags. So, you know, that, that says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole thing, and, and honestly, like I was like through the, the lockdown here, like 2020, 2021, I was killing it with renovation content on Instagram. It was just like, you know, a hundred stories a day. People loved it. They watched it. They emailed me like, I watch this like a TV show. I go get a cup of tea. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> and then Instagram stopped. I was getting so many views. It was incredible. Oh. Then Instagram said, no, no, no. We want to do reels and just stop showing my stories to people. Same stories, same stuff. And so now I'm like learning how to make reels. No, Are you kidding me? Like, I'm too old for this. I don't need to, like, oh, jeez. No. Someone said to me, I went and saw a client, and they said, can you please, like, do TikTok? And I just said, no. No, absolutely not. I don't want to. I don't want to. No. Someone's like, you really should build a YouTube channel. I'm like, 
Isn't that just dudes? I feel like guys just go on YouTube. Like my husband loves YouTube. I'm like, what are you watching? The only time I'm on YouTube is to like literally look up some very specific, like how do I change a tire on a bike? Like that's (laughs) like every time I'm on YouTube. All right. My last question, I suppose, is how has this changed you? Like how has it affected you or, or not changed you? I mean, you've mentioned bravery a couple of times and I, um, I mean, I love the compliment. It's so lovely. And at the same time, I do not feel brave about this at all. Um, Yeah, I just don't. Um, I think it's because like my, in so many ways, my life hasn't changed. I didn't risk my marriage. I didn't risk my relationship with my kids. Like they've all been super supportive and great. Um, I didn't risk my relationship with uh, my, my larger family. You know, I have all these siblings and I didn't risk my church community. No one has tried to like kick me out of Mormonism. <laughs> like, like I just didn't, I don't feel like I was taking, like some people would, some people, if they said this stuff would really be risking all those things. They'd be risking their job. They'd be risking so much. And I didn't, there is one opportunity um, that I think I may have lost because I talk about this. That was like a big opportunity that I think I might've been able to do like a TV show about a renovation, like a series. And I think yeah. I lost it because I, speak so politically no one I can't come from it no one said that but that's yeah. the only I could could see and so maybe that but I I don't feel I don't feel like this has changed me and I've had to be brave in that way like I've been able to say and write whatever I wanted to write for 15 years and I've said all sorts of stuff and been obnoxious I mean I've been obnoxious about guns and definitely about elections. I've been obnoxious about so much stuff. And so, and, um, so this didn't feel that risky to me um, where it would have been for other people. And I understand that. So I, I, I can't even take credit for that. I feel like this has just been like, it's, it's just a natural extension. Like I love that you yeah. kind of, you had all that thrown at you at Twitter, which made you kind of ready for the book. And like, it's yeah. just been, it sounds like, I mean, you were onto this four years before they, um, you know, the robust. And I could never have predicted. I truly didn't see it. And I know people did. They're like, knew I knew it was going to happen. I'm like, I did not think it was going to happen. That I, is crazy. I did not think it was going to happen. I yeah. still cannot. I'm still just so fear. Like, why? What? Like, it just has not improved anyone's life. They're losing elections now. It just has been horrible across the board. There has been zero positive outcome from it. And I just am furious. But anyway, back to anger. That's yeah. where, that's where I live. Come full circle. We've come full yeah. circle. It's a good time. Well, thank you so much for chatting to us. That's right. so cool. So where can where can if they're in Australia, people in Australia, where can they get the book? I like basically any bookstore can get it for you. So talk to any bookstore if they don't have it in stock, they can get it for you. Amazon you like to use. It, it, it's on it's on every Amazon. So whatever you want to use, wherever you like to get it, you can get it. Amazing. All right, thanks, Gabrielle. Thank you for thank being you. on our podcast. Love them. If you liked this conversation, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really liked it, be a legend and leave us a good review. Lunch Lady is a parenting platform where no conversation is off limits. It's for curious parents and carers keen on parenting with a side of optimism, hope and fun. For more excellent reads and good conversations, head to www.hellolunchlady.com.au.